Welcome to Leverage Masters, airing weekly on Tuesdays at 12 Eastern and on demand on iTunes and Blog Talk Radio. Leverage Masters hosts Jack Humphrey and Gina Gaudio-Graves discuss leverage strategy with guest leveragists. Be sure to subscribe to Leverage Masters in your favorite podcatcher for great tips and case studies on using leverage to achieve your biggest goals much faster. Welcome to Leverage Masters, everyone. I'm your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, and along with my co-host and all-around partner in crime, Jack Humphrey, we are the founders of TheLeveragists.com and Divizio.com. That's D-U-V-I-S-I-O. How are you today, Jack? Fantabulous. Beautiful day. Incredible guest. I can't wait to get into this. This is not our typical guest today, so... I'm I'm dying well, to I show you guys let, who we've got. <laughs> I will let you jump in immediately then. Take it away, Jack. Good, because I'm chomping at the bit. Today we have Dustin Marks, who is without question one of the most successful blackjack cheaters in history. You heard me right. Yeah, we'll have all kinds of people on this show. This is diversity, man. And we're going to discover all the leverage that goes with being one of the most successful blackjack cheaters in the world. Uh, possessing an uncanny ability to remain calm under pressure and the talent to perform undetectable sleight of hand under fire. He was employed as a blackjack dealer by several casinos in Las Vegas during the 80s. While under the watchful eye of casino surveillance systems and pit bosses, he beat the casinos and was never caught. Dustin is the author of groundbreaking books such as Cheating at Blackjack and Cheating at Blackjack Squared. He's appeared on dozens of TV shows, the History Channel, Discovery Channel, Learning Channel. Uh, He directed and performed in the DVD Cheating at Blackjack, a real work from L&L Publishing. And he's on blogs. He's featured all over the place like Cigar Aficionado. Um, I'll leave it there. I know you've got a long and illustrious career that you can fill us in much more on uh, during this hour But for now, Dustin, welcome to Leverage Masters. Well, thank you, Jack. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, I have to start you off uh, like I do everyone every week. We've got a little bit of your background, but what's burning in your belly right now? What got you out of bed this morning? Well, every day I'm uh, up very early. I like to get up early. I always have a whole list of things I like to accomplish. one of those guys who sets goals and accomplishes them, and that gives me my probably my greatest pleasure is checking off that list. I'm lucky because generally I'm the one who makes the list. Nobody's making a list for me. <laughs> that is the very best kind of list making there is, <laughs> in my opinion. You're also a mountain climber. I mean, are you just one of those guys that might be like a gold junkie? Like, it that's really kind of what drives you? I mean, you kind of said that already, but – Mountain climbing, all kinds of stuff in your uh, portfolio here. Uh, it just seems like you uh, are one of those that really gets the most out of life. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't think there's anything better than setting a worthwhile goal and accomplishing it and then learning from what uh, the steps you took to accomplish that. And, you know, a lot of the principles are the same that carries over into any endeavor. Yeah, well, and that's why I like talking to people with such wild and diverse backgrounds and expertise. And I have to say, though we've been doing this for several years, you're their first uh, blackjack expert 
cheater uh, that I've uh, ever interviewed. So I'm loving rounding out my portfolio, a little bit of a goal achieved there. <laughs> Tell us more about um, uh, what you do and, and how you help people in the world around your uh, topic of expertise or topics. Well, you know, I'm always uh, talking about principles for success, whether it been, you know, in the gambling area or uh, climbing mountains. And basically, I think there's six of them that really help anybody achieve success. And the first is find your passion. Now, so many people go to a job that they don't really like. They can't wait for the weekends or 5 p.m. And to me, that's not the way to live. You know, you're kind of existing until you're off work. Why not find something you're passionate about and then find the way to make money with your passion? Agreed. And then number two is who do you listen to? That's so important. My success with the blackjack stems from I found probably the best cheater, blackjack cheater in the world, and I listened to him. He was a real expert. So that not only cut down my learning curve, but it also kept me from getting caught. And, you know, it doesn't obviously have to be in blackjack, but it's any endeavor in life. You need to find the experts, the real experts. And nowadays with the Internet, it's much easier than in the old days. And, you know, you really got to listen to them. So many people, not so much in the blackjack, which I haven't been in in a while, but in uh, climbing mountains, they do two or three climbs, and they think they're an expert, and they're not even a beginner yet. And the consequences yeah. can be severe. So people need to find and listen to real experts. And then when your attitude's right, you know, the facts don't matter. And I know that might shock some people, but uh, a lot of times facts are just people's opinions, and they don't really know the real facts. And then strive for constant improvement. You can always improve in some area. And then, you know, making better decisions, that's so important. You know, 99% of people are where, they're in, where they are in life because of the decisions they made. So if you want a better life, you need to make better decisions. And you get those skills from, you know, again, listening to real experts. And then finally, all this doesn't mean a thing unless you take action. And, you know, in the mountain climbing, I'll switch back and forth between gambling and mountain climbing, so many people want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do this peak. I want to do that peak. And five years later, they're still telling me they want to do it. They never took action. Consequently, we have people that have done all, we have 52 peaks we do, all 52 peaks, same as amount of cards in a deck, by the way, uh, in like six months. Mm -hmm. Those are the people who take action, gain from their experience, and then go on to something else. Well, I want to get your perspective on this because we broach this topic in many different ways from different angles depending on uh, the week <laughs> and the guest. But I would love sure. to get your take on what is it what is it that makes some people hit those 52 peaks and just dig into that and just go for it and get it done in an amount of time that blows everybody's mind versus the people who – not only don't hit those peaks, but probably you could look at their lives and, and they're not hitting many peaks of any kind anywhere. In their, they're just indecisive. Or maybe it's not indecisive. I don't want to throw any qualifications out there. But they just don't get it done. What's the difference between those people? I know that it's really hard when you're stuck. 
and like everybody can identify with this, when you get stuck in life at one point or another and you just feel like you can't make a decision, you can't every, you second guess everything. So it's not to make light of the subject. I've suffered from that at points in my career too, and it is horrible. But what's going on with people when some of them are just gung-ho and they go for it and others are what I just described? That's a great question, Jack. I believe two things. Number one, passion. You've got to have passion. You can't be talked into something. I mean, you can, but if you're not passionate about it, then, you know, when the going gets tough, a lot of times they quit. And then number two, and I see this a lot, is belief. They've got to believe they can actually achieve it. And in the, uh, the climbing, it's funny in the beginning, people say, okay, I'll just do a couple of those peaks because I know I can't do, you know, all of them. And then maybe around the 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, somewhere in there, you can see that change in their belief system, change how they perceive themselves. And they say, you know what, I can do this. That, of course, encouragement helps a lot. But those two things, passion and belief, I think are key to succeeding in any endeavor in life. So it's really not it's, – so in this case, it's not going and tackling 52 mountain peaks. It's really maybe nine. Like, it's really – you know, you'll, you'll finish the rest if you don't get so overwhelmed about the whole project that's before you, right? If you can just take off some and then it'll go – your passion will kick in at maybe eight or nine peaks, and then it's like nothing can stop you at that point. But maybe some people freeze up because it's like – the number 52, that huge amount of grueling mountain climbs they might be thinking at the beginning. <laughs> I like the way that you parsed it out and just said, I mean, is that how you get people sort of motivated to tackle big things is, you know, here's the big goal, but let's just take this a step at a time. Right. That's what you do in anything in life. You can't automatically, you know, any worthwhile and big goal. It's baby steps. Do this, do this, do this, and you got to do the stuff you don't want to do. Sometimes the boring stuff that will allow you to have success. You know, success is not all, you know, a straight line uphill. You're going to have peaks and valleys like anything else in life, but you got to be able to push past those valleys. Like sometimes you're all set to do one of these peaks, and there's bad weather, and the hike's canceled. Well, that's just the way it is. You know, safety's always got to be first. So, yeah, disappointing, of course. If it wasn't disappointing, the person isn't passionate about it. So, you know, then you go yeah. the next day or the next week, et cetera, and you keep pushing. Yeah. It's almost like from a gamer's perspective, uh, achieving God mode in a game where you can't be killed anymore, nothing can really happen to you, you won't lose all your stuff. And immediately you think, wow, that's a great thing. I would love to be able to play this on God mode. But the thing is, it is almost instantly boring. It, like, loses every bit of its value, like you said. And I think a lot of people have maybe a hang-up on, on that whole, I would do it if this condition were met. I would do it if this condition were met. Um, this would be easy if only. And I hear a lot of, you know, chatter in my head sometimes when I'm trying to make decisions like that. And that's the kind of chatter that's in there. And I think it's fairly common. I've talked to other people. It seems to be something that people can get hung up on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really hard sometimes. And it's funny how that it's hard because we're here to do all this stuff, right? I mean, what the heck else are we alive for? 
if not to do things like set goals like climbing 52 peaks or whatever it might be and then achieving them. It's really ironic how much humanity has a problem with that at different times. And then also that there are people out there that seemingly, and I know they have their own struggles that we don't see, but seemingly coast through all this stuff, work their butts off and everything, but comparatively are coasting through it, loving it, and achieving and and that doesn't help the person who's procrastinating at the moment because it makes them feel more terrible about themselves. <laughs> and it's like, that guy's got an up on me that I don't have. I just don't understand what that up is, but he's definitely got something on me because he can do this and I can't, and it's got to be that he has an advantage, not that I'm disadvantaging myself. A lot of times it's attitude. Not all the time, but a lot of times. You know, if you have the correct attitude, yeah. that really helps in any kind of goal. And, you know, being realistic, you're not going to climb 52 peaks in a week or you're not going to become vice president of a company if you're only been there six months. And you got to be realistic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for all the people who are all out there as a shining example of getting things done and continually accomplishing things. I had a wake-up call yesterday um, of a guy, a, a former client of mine from way back in 2008, went on to be an extraordinary uh, health and fitness blogger, very profitable, um, quit his job back in 2008, um, and became a full-time blogger at the time, which was actually a thing you could do at the time. And um, he pointed out somebody he followed that he was an affiliate marketer for uh, back then, which is one of the products that gave him his start and enabled him to quit his job and go full-time, was promoting this guy's product. And he said, if you guys don't know, this guy's really been going at it for all of these years, and he's got this giant blog, a podcast, and then just listed off all these other things that the guy's doing. He's like a mini, not to mean small, but in comparison, a mini Huffington Post for fitness and um, you know goal setting and things, ironically, all that kind of stuff, and he's just... You know, he's got productivity tips and all of this stuff and about how he wakes up at 4.30 in the morning. And it's funny how when we listen to people like you, when we, when we come into contact with people like you and guys like that, it has a motivating effect in and of itself just because you're out there as a reminder that things can be done. Really, really big, important, and awesome things can be done. And guys like you are always out there to remind us of just how that is possible for everybody, not just some people who have an imaginary leg up. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, you, know, you look for inspiration from other people, obviously, and that uh, you know helps inspire people. And that's the kind of thing, somewhat, if he can do it, I can do it. Now, I'm not talking about you know people that are extremely successful, because they do maybe have an advantage. But like in the 52 Peak Club, if, you know, Joe can do it and Joe's not anybody, you know, real special, then I can do it kind of thing. And it, there's a group dynamic yeah. that goes on, too. Uh, you get to kind of a difficult climb and the leader just walks right up it like nothing. Then the next person walks right up it. And if you're fifth, sixth in line thinking, boy, this is hard, and you see everybody just cruise up it, then you have that mindset that changes and says, you know what? If he can do it, I can do it. Or if she can do it, I can do it. I've seen that over and over and over. Yeah. Um, back when internet marketing conferences were a lot more popular, um, and Gina and I were going to a lot more of them, there were a lot of people who would say, you need to come to this conference because you need to get around people who are like you. 
but not exactly like you. You need to get around people who have the same interests as you but are, you know, kicking butt a little bit more at a higher level than you so that you can do what you just talked about, be in the group where things that were formerly the day before you got on the plane seemingly a lot harder than when you come back from the conference. It's like, oh, that's normal for so many people. I've decided it's my normal too. And that really does work. And it's funny that you can learn that lesson like I have over decades and still need to relearn or refresh yourself on that lesson. How do you talk to people about uh, keeping up? People who have achieved all kinds of things. Um, you know, do you have advice for people who are, you know, to make sure that they're sticking their neck out there, putting their head above water a little bit more often um, when we tend to get complacent and we get into patterns? Well, yeah, you got to keep pushing yourself because if you don't, you become bored. To me, that's one of the worst things you can do in life is become bored. So, you know, and you don't have to necessarily push yourself in the same direction. Maybe take a completely different direction. You know, if you're into fitness, get into some kind of intellectual pursuit. But you got to keep pushing yourself. I don't think anybody planet wants to stagnate. You know, you either get better or you get worse. Now, with age, of course, some things do get worse. That's just the way it is. But you can still push yourself in other areas and still, you know, be as good as you can. You know, look at yourself as a constant improvement, whatever you can do to improve yourself and, you know, areas that are interested and worthwhile to you. What are some practices? We talk a lot on this show about leverage and leverage tactics and strategy that people can use to make their business go further faster, get more attention, more clients and customers, stuff like that. We're typically focused on that business strategy, but I know there are leverage tactics that people talk about in terms of keeping yourself motivated, keep, you know, shaking things up. Do you have tips for, like the guy I mentioned um, that I got back in touch with, uh, yesterday, uh, who swears by getting up at 4.30 and then just goes off on how much more he gets done every single day just because of that two extra hours that he gets in peace and quiet to write 1,500 words for his books and his blog. Are there some leverage tactics that you share along those lines? Well, yeah, I think, uh, one, getting up early because generally it's very quiet. There's less distractions when you are going to work try to eliminate the distractions. Now, you know, people that have a regular job, that's a little bit harder, but, you know, you don't want a million things coming at you that distract you. And, you know, again, keep motivated. Uh, that, that's so important. And write down either in the computer, your uh, smartphone, or on a piece of paper your goals, and then check them off. There's something, at least for me, magical when I check that goal off, sense of accomplishment. Even if it's you know a very very yeah. simple goal that you can do in ten minutes, or something that's going to take you know a month, two months, maybe a year, but that uh, yeah, and that builds. I'm, Once you accomplish one thing, you know, then you accomplish another. You get more uh, confidence, and you keep going, and that allows you because you build up that confidence in that uh, success that you can look back at. Then when things become tough you can look back and say, well, I did A, B, C, D, you know, and this isn't going to beat me. I might not be able to accomplish it at the timeline I set, but I will continue unless you find out that either it wasn't a worthwhile goal 
or you're not passionate about it anymore. Once your passion, in my opinion, dwindles, then it's time to move to something else that does make you passionate. Yeah. I was going to say about the checking off the list, I often will have done something that I didn't have on my list, and I'll put it, I'll pull up Todoist, which is a little thing that I keep going in one of my browser windows, and uh, I'll put it on there, and I'll immediately check it off. I'm that sick, <laughs> or whatever that is, but I, I, and I'll never see it again. It's, it's somewhere in the right. archives, but as soon as you click it off, it's gone forever. I'm never going to see it, but I put it on there and check it off, thinking maybe someday I'll get to go back and look and explore all my information. I'll never do that. So I really have to be honest with myself and go, wow, I really love checking things off a list to the point where I'll do it, um, you know, back in time. <laughs> and, and the other thing that's really important that I got out of what you said was you, it sounds like you got to be comfortable with going into your mental gym and starting with the five-pound weights, develop good habits, and just start with the stuff that I'm a, I have a really hard time with that sometimes because I see dudes lifting huge weight out there in their businesses and everything else, doing really big. And I don't want to walk into a gym and look like a lightweight and pick up the five pounders. But you're basically saying you got to start and develop good habits, right? And just start with the things that are the, the five pound weights in your business or, or in the goals that you want to achieve. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, nobody starts out being a complete success. You know, it, uh, everybody, not everybody, but most people seem to be an overnight success 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You know, even guys like Dan Kennedy, who's one of the gurus, mm -hmm. he started out selling door-to-door. -door. And I'm sure he got a lot of doors slammed in his face, but he gained a lot of experience from that. So virtually nobody's yeah. an overnight success, although the media makes it look like it because you never heard of this person. And then they pop up and seems right. like to be an overnight success, but not really. Yeah. So what about people who have done a cycle in their life where they started out and they were a professional, um, maybe in corporate America, and maybe shifted during that time to, um, you know, working for themselves, starting a business, something like that. Um, but they find themselves, I'm turning 50 this year, and they find themselves somewhere in the bracket of where I am age-wise, and they want to do something new. Their passion has run out for the thing that they're doing. They know they need to do something else because they're really not putting it in for what they're, they have been successful at and formerly passionate about. How do you recommend, because they have a little bit more leverage than somebody who's starting out just out of college. I mean, they've got age, experience, and they're passionate about something now that maybe has nothing to do or very little to do with what they were good at and had such a big resume built up for. Do those people have to start completely over? Is it really, oh, no, like, they, do I have to go sell door-to-door -door and start out at the very bottom, or is there some cheating we can do? No, they have a lifetime of experience and principles that work, and these principles are universal. They translate to any endeavor. So they need to, you know, kind of get back to the basics, see what worked for them, use those principles in the next endeavor. And it's funny you mention that because we have a lot of people in the 52P club that are older, that have retired, and now they're looking for a new goal, and they found one. And a lot of these people want to get in better shape. So they're using the same principles throughout their business life, whether they be a doctor, lawyer, business owner, et cetera. And those are the people that generally do very well. 
in the uh, pursuit of climbing all the 52 peaks. Okay, so let's start, because this 52 peak thing is really becoming a metaphor for, I bet you there's a lot of people you've watched go on this journey that have gotten a lot more out of than just climbing peaks, because I am a hiker, a wildlife tracker, naturalist, all that kind of stuff, and just being out there taught me so, so much about and continues to teach me so much about life and business, actually. And what kinds of things have you watched people get really unexpected results? You can kind of expect what people would say about a 52-peak challenge, achieving that or pursuing that from the literal climbing of mountains. But what are some of the side effects of that? Oh, there's many. Uh, we actually have a whole video teaser. But anyway, uh, self-confidence. We've had people that uh, were very... I'm not very confident, and now since they've climbed all 52 peaks, they've become very confident. Uh, the social aspects, we've had people that are pretty reclusive when they first joined the club, and then going through this journey, say a year, year and a half, and now all their best friends are people in the club. People have gotten jobs. People have gotten married. So it's uh, as much as you know, building confidence, getting in great shape, uh, it's the social aspects also. And a lot of people have said this is one of the most worthwhile things they've ever done in their life. So that's real gratifying Which is, to be able to help people become better. Yeah. Well, and it's nuts because I think that a lot of people, when they hear <clears throat> what you're saying, you know, about achieving goals, be passionate, all that kind of stuff, also networking with people that, you know, all of that discussion sounds fine. I wonder what assumptions people made about, all right, well, then I'm going to go to a specific networking group, and I'm going to inject myself into a crowd of people that I want to be around that help stokes my passion, all that. And I think maybe people might be taking this too literally or looking at it too narrowly because you could also just join a 52-peak club. And I don't think people naturally go, I'm going to do something way out there, like crazy, weird, like off the beaten path. I don't think people open themselves up to that level of possibilities to get the same kinds of results that you would expect from, oh, I'm only going to be able to do this if I go to the right place in the right industry conference or group of people and get these kinds of connections. But you're talking about people getting jobs and making connections and all these wonderful side benefits around the 52 Peak Club. I think that's awesome. And I think people could benefit from knowing there is a lot more possibility than they probably allow themselves to believe or, or be open to. Yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah, I agree. People do limit themselves. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't. Well, how do you know you didn't even try kind of thing? Uh, you know, people are uh, so much more capable of doing things than they give themselves credit for. And even very successful people. You know, in a different endeavor, sometimes they're kind of uh, not very confident. And it's uh, it's interesting. You know, the study of human nature is very, very interesting. It's almost like the 52P Club is a laboratory to study people. And, you know, with over 2,000 people, there's a lot of people to study. You learn a lot. And what applies or works for one person may not work for another person. So it's very interesting. Yeah. And if that other person isn't finding what they need from that person, if that's the only person they've exposed themselves to, they're kind of stuck. But if you're in a group, kind of like a 
a bigger petri dish of people and possibilities, you can find something that works for you, an example of that in the wild, but only if you put yourself in the position to do so, right? You have to be in a group. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, even getting back to the uh, blackjack and stuff. When I first arrived in Vegas back in 83, I um, found out about a magic club that met every Wednesday night. And I went to that, and suddenly my whole world just exploded with possibilities because there were some of the best magician, card magicians in the world. And there I am sitting across from them, and they're teaching me stuff. So that was very, very cool, and I learned a ton. goes back to who do you listen to, who do you associate with. And so if you get with a group of people that really know what they're doing, not only will it build your confidence, but it will cut down your learning curve drastically. Nobody really yeah. wants to be like Edison and take 10,000 times to invent something, invent a light bulb no. he did, <laughs> luckily. Yeah, right. Well, in this day and age, somebody's got the 10,000 or 9,999 tries, um, and it would really be great if you were the 10,000th, but without having to have gone through them all, just benefiting from being around other people. I get the same effect from just interviewing people every week. I mean, I, I'm in a group um, of people who come to this show and impart the knowledge on the level that y you do, that you're doing today. And um, I'd also like to say it comes from all over because I have to confess, when I was uh, with Sky Island Alliance in the 90s, we would take people down in southern New Mexico, Arizona, and northern Chihuahua and Sonora, Mexico, and teach them um, wildlife tracking and wilderness trekking and all of that kind of stuff. And we had what we called peak baggers in our group all the time. Sierra clubbers and other people would come, and, oh, yeah. and they, were, they were hardcore into bagging peaks. I mean, they just wanted to get to the peak, the peak, the peak. Well, I was training them on wildlife tracking, and we would typically cover in one day a few miles of territory. Mm -hmm. And it drove them nuts because they're like, I could have been up on that peak and that peak. Right, and right. They went out of their minds until, but, but on the micro level, on going slow, they got a lot of the same benefits that they had no idea. People around the campfire that night, when it would happen for them, they'd say, I saw more stuff in that two miles then I see, you know, getting up to three or four peaks, uh, a chain of peaks in Virginia on the Appalachian Trail or whatever, in a, in a whole day it, with lots more miles. And they're like, oh, this works. This is really cool. I'm getting the same kind of stuff. I can go slow or fast. And a lot of the same things that you're describing, just to put a point on the fact that there's lots of things, lots more creative, wild, different ways that people can uh, awaken this passion and keep themselves motivated and make their right connections. Um, you know, there's just a lot of diversity out there, the things that you can do. You can go fast, big, small, <laughs> slow, <laughs> and uh, there's a group for everything, really. Yeah, sometimes you need to slow down a little and look around. Yeah, I found that with myself. Yeah. I'm pretty, you know, motivated and speed, 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 but sometimes I learn more by going slower. Uh, yeah, it just depends on the situation, of course. But, yeah, I can't get about the peak baggers. I'm one of them for sure. But, uh, yeah, that's a great <laughs> I had a, you were I had doing. a peak bagger. Oh, it was fun as heck. I would have done it anyway uh, if people were there or not. My, I would have taken my imaginary friends out there and done it. 
And I have. <laughs> but I saw a peak bagger, um, a guy who was in the environmental movement, and 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 he always had to be the, the guy to the top first. He always had to prove to the younger kids that he could hike longer, harder, faster than them. And And he was my nut to crack. He was the guy that if I got him, I could get anybody. And mm-hmm. it took some yeah. work. But one day... We were off trail a little bit, which was already antithetical and antithetical to his whole philosophy of, you know, staying on trail and getting up that peak. So he was already frustrated, making fun of us. You know, he's a funny guy and everything, and he's always being sarcastic. And we found a a, a good swatch of bear fur stuck in the bark of a pine tree, and it wasn't that far off trail. And I'm like, here's an example of, and he's over there staring at it. And it's really weird because he's staring at it too long. I mean, it's just hair and a piece of bark. And I'm thinking, is he tripping out over the bear or that there's a bear here? I don't know what he's doing. (laughs) And what happened right there, as I'm describing what's going on there and what to look for for everybody else, is he's having his existential crisis about being a peak bagger. (laughs) And he's, like, freaking out. And he told me later, he's like, that's when it hit me. I've been moving too fast. I need to balance this out greatly, and I thank you so much for doing this. And and which brings me to another thing. Isn't it also beneficial for people? I'm kind of leading this because I know it's true. <laughs> but isn't it beneficial for people like you and me to lead things like this? Like how much is this done for you in your life just by in, being the facilitator, the creator of something and having people gather around and being able to teach people new things? Because for me, it's been mind-blowingly awesome. Some of the best times of my life have been things like that. What's it been like for you? Oh, yeah, I get uh, great satisfaction. In fact, once people climb all 52 peaks, we have a celebration at a peak, and sometimes there's 20, 30, 40 people. And these are not typical trail hikes. you got to actually climb. And sometimes it takes three, four, mm-hmm. five hours to get there, and people will do that to support the person who, uh, you know, is becoming what we call 53 or somebody who's climbed all 52 peaks. So it's a great feeling of satisfaction, and they're very, very uh, appreciative of everything that uh, the club has given them. Yeah. And plus, I mean, you just have to get personal satisfaction out of that. I mean, what if you were away from that for whatever you would consider too long? Would you sort of start having withdrawal symptoms? Uh, probably. I've always been very active, so I don't know how to answer that question from experience. But uh, yeah, <laughs> Well, probably. active in some other area, being away from the experience that you're always providing for people and, and helping them out with, uh, I would assume that you would be very active in whatever you've done off to the side. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, it takes a lot of work to coordinate this and make sure it runs smoothly and like anything else. You know, if you're going to have a business and you're going to be successful, it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of organization, a lot of planning. Nothing magical about that. That's just the way it, you know, has to be. There is really no magical wand. If there is one, it's having the right attitude and then just sticking with it, persistence. And we've had people take five years to do this. We've had people you know, have major setbacks. Uh, now, we, in fact, we had one guy had a minor heart attack, real minor. And uh, he's back. And, you know, again, life is not all straight uphill. It's peaks and valleys. And the older you get, the more you realize that's 
that's the way it is. And anybody who thinks everything's going to be perfect, they're just kind of kidding themselves. And you got to be able to uh, you got- weather through those setbacks. Right. Everyone listening can go to 52peakclub.com. That's the number 52, P-E-A-K-C-L-U-B.com. And you weren't kidding about the cards. You have all of the peaks on top of a card. And you have a poster for everybody to check off. This is really actually very cool. Uh, I thought you were just saying, by the way, it's also the number of cards in a deck, but you're literally joining your life from one part of your life to another thing together like that. I think that's awesome. Very good example to people, to listeners, to, uh, how you can do that, how you can leverage everything in your life to to put something together that's really quite unique and magic. Yeah, it just goes, you know, life experience. Obviously, people have skills that they're very good at and some that they're not very good at. And, you know, I would never be a musician because I have no musical ability whatsoever. So I'm not going to pursue that where I was always really into fitness, loved it. I'm the kind of guy who loves to go to the gym and work out. And I just took that passion and started climbing mountains and from there developed, you know, the books and the 52 feet club and everything. What, uh, what kind of conversations have you had with people uh, just literally out there facing some serious fear about, I bet you if you're really doing climbing and everything, you've probably got people who are in for them what's a very scary experience. Some people who are afraid of heights, people who are afraid of the verticalness of this climb or whatever. And I'm sure you've had to help them really tackle that. And, and it really has a great line to business and success and everything else. That conversation that you've had at the base of, a tough climb that you got somebody to see and pluck up the courage to go ahead and do it. What's that like? I know you've had those conversations. Oh yeah, absolutely. Great question. Uh, the first thing I say is, Hey, you can do this. And I do just say, look, I've got 9,000 people through this. I'm going to get you through it. And number two though, what I really do is say, are you in danger this very second? And they got good handholds and stuff. And I say, no, Okay. Focus on that. You're not really in danger right now. And that usually calms them down. And I show them the footholds, handholds, et cetera. And uh, people get through it. I work with, you know, certain people. I, I know this one <coughs> woman who started out, she's scared of everything, heights, bears, and it flies. And now you would never think that this is the same person, confident, good climber, et cetera. So, again, no, it's goes back to their mindset, too. Somewhere in her journey, she went from, well, I just earned some cards to, yeah, I can do this. And now, you know, she's very passionate. We've had people literally take off work, postpone vacations. One woman, I know it sounds crazy, postponed a surgery. And it's almost like (laughs) over the top. It's like they're addicted to the cards, which is interesting to me. Yeah. Gina, I heard you back there. It sounds like you might have a question. I did not have a question. I'm really interested in this whole topic. <laughs> Isn't it cool? Do you ever have, it's a, it's a, um, you ever help people who are disabled to do this? 
No, not disabled. No, because we're actually climbing. So we actually oh, everybody has to go through a fitness survey because we want people that are in decent shape that aren't, you know, necessarily really as scared of heights. I mean, if a person can't get in an elevator, then this isn't for them. But, you know, we've had people start out, you know, scared of heights and then progress where uh, you would never know that they – I started out scared of heights. I actually, as a kid, didn't climb trees because of heights. So you can overcome anything if you have the desire and, uh, you know, make a plan, stick with it, and do it till you achieve your goal and then go on to something else that's worthwhile in your life. Earlier we talked about uh, this topic kind of right on the nose, like being around people um, who are doing a little bit or a lot of bit better than you in your industry or the thing that you're really interested in to kind of raise your game. Have you seen people, well, I mean, we talked about this too a little bit, we touched on it earlier, what people have been able to do as a result of this, but like business-wise, I'm sure you keep in touch with these guys has this um, exercise, has this goal, these accomplishments had the same kind of effect we were talking about earlier when it was directly related, like go to a conference or go do this, just by making this achievement, which might not be directly related at all to their business or anything, and then they go home and feel like they can do anything and they, their businesses take off or something really good happens for them or they lose their fear around something else? Oh, absolutely, because this is – you know, can be dangerous. You can fall. That's a real fear, a legitimate fear. So then when people say, oh, i got to give this talk at my work, I say, so what? How is that really scary? Are you going to fall to your death? Anybody going to shoot you while you're talking? Of course not. So there's real <laughs> fear and imaginary fear. So they gain that confidence so they can do, you know, things that uh, before this, they were a little fearful. Well, if you can look back and say, well, I did X, Y, Z, or specifically like White Pinnacle Peak that people can Google and see the, uh, what that entails. Well, if you can do that, then getting up in front of a couple people or even a 1,000 people and talking is so much easier. So they have that experience to draw on when they feel a little un, you know, not confident enough in on that experience to say, well, this was a real, you know, scary thing that I achieved, so this thing I have to do isn't near as scary, consequences aren't near as dire, and I can do that. And people have, uh, as far as benefits, yeah, we have a lot of realtors, so they have definitely gotten business. We have, we even have a surgeon gets a lot of uh, clients because of uh, knee problems. This is very taxing on the knee. I tell people, protect your knees. But, you know, if you do this for 30 years, you're going to, unfortunately, eventually have knee problems. People need operations. So in every aspect of their life, uh, again, people have been employed, got jobs, people found uh, their mates. So the, the benefits are pretty much endless. Plus, you know, they, they get to look forward to something. You know, if they have two days off and one day they're going to hike, that's their day. You know, that's a day they really look forward to. So that's great. You need something to look forward to in life. So this provides that also. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a scenario, and you tell me how close I am uh, to okay. the truth. Uh, and, and it is that 
you have this ability to you do have a secret ability. You do have a card up your sleeve, so to speak, that enables you to do things that other people can't right now do if they want to do anything similar to you, and that is you have a story that's incredibly interesting. You have a couple of them, actually. And what people don't understand is that's not an unfair advantage that, um, that they also can't have. In fact, it's the answer, right, that you do. I imagine when you are booking uh, speaking engagements and things like that, people are already pretty primed to have you on their stage because of your story. And you don't really have to work hard. A lot of people we talk to have marketing funnels, and they got to really cajole and, and move themselves into a position where they are respected and trusted and, and as an advisor and, and all of these things before they can – close a deal or sell a product or whatever they're doing. And you make it look really easy because you've got the stories. You've got a couple of different stories that you can tell to get uh, your product moving, which is, you know, I would imagine you still do speaking and things or whatever you want to do in life. It's a lot easier when you have a great story to tell, isn't it? Am I close? Oh, yeah, oh absolutely. Uh, again, this goes back to Dan Kennedy. You want to position yourself to be unique and the only one in the world that can say I've done X, Y, Z. So you really eliminate the competition. That's so important. Everybody has a story. Forget the guy, uh, Bo Easton talks about it, you know, and you just got to uh, work on your story and make it enticing, make it where people want to hear more of your story. So yeah, that's real important in selling yourself. And like he says, uh, Everybody's got a good story. You just got to find it, develop it, and then pitch it to people. Yeah. I, I, you can look at even just a small business, an offline business. If you look around your local area, the people who are telling stories around their business, about their family, about the workers, about the stuff that everybody does, who work at this business, who happens to sell something – they don't, they're not the guys who are running commercials about, come down and get this car for thirty nine ninety five, and they're always talking about their product. It's the ones mm-hmm. I've found that are really successful are the ones that are out there going, oh, and by the way, I have this business that sells this stuff, after they've regaled you with really a, an interesting story. The people who have taken the time to delve into that, and like you say, just everybody has a story, and, and dig that up and really figure out what that is, you can actually cut out an awful lot of other work that you have to do when you're a person who doesn't have that story. Because the car salesman guy is going to have to go get another car and talk about the same thing he did yesterday, just about a different car with a different, you know, and people just, that's like a monotone, right? There's no dimensionality to uh, such a person. And they find often, I think, there's no dimensionality to their profits or probably their satisfaction in what they do, period. Correct. I agree 100%. It's hard to develop a rapport over a car. You develop rapport over sharing life experiences with people. And yeah, that, that's so important. I know, I forget who wrote it, but Instant Rapport came out in the 90s, a book, and that was very, very mm-hmm. good. And uh, now it's taken off so much. But it's got to be genuine. You can't just mirror and match and you know relate how people. It's got to be Genuine. You know, there's some people you just look at and you go, I'm going to like that person. And other people, 
you know, I don't know if I'd get along with that person. I'm not exactly sure why, but everybody has those kind of feelings. So it's uh, that's interesting. There's a lot of people here on this planet, and yeah, it's always a uh, for me a study. I like watching people and seeing why they do what they do, and and you can use that in anything in life to uh, you know persuade people to get them to do things to better themselves and to also profit for yourself. Yeah. How can you reconcile these two things? You've got your, you said earlier, you need to make yourself the obvious choice. I'm paraphrasing, but be unique um, and, and just eliminate competition by default by being. um, And, but then earlier you talked about, you absolutely have to be passionate. What if somebody's having a hard time figuring out, how they're going to be that unique thing with the competition angle and everything else um, by going after the thing that they actually are, have been honest enough to isolate that this is exactly what I'm passionate about. I'm going to own that. What if they're having trouble doing both of those things? And I'm, I'm asking because I think I know what the answer is, but I want to hear your answer because I think a lot of people get stuck on that point. Well, once they find their passion, then they got to just look at their life story and find something unique about it, you know, a twist that gains attention. Uh, and attention is so important. I can't persuade you to do anything in life unless I have your attention. you got to grab people's attention. You don't have to do something crazy, more so something interesting. That generates attention. And from there... You know, you can start telling people about your unique story and coupled with your passion. So those are the two things I think that are real key for people. And, you know, it's not – for most people, probably finding a unique, interesting story is kind of difficult. It can be done, but, uh, you know, for me it's a little easier because I've done stuff that's not the norm. So by nature, it is more interesting. Sorry. I've got it easy in one sense. Yeah, well, I mean, but maybe it's the dedication to the thing you're passionate about. Like, if you're really dedicated to it, you're not just interested in it, but you're really, then if you really chase that thing down, regardless of what it's going to do for you, if you don't try to use it tactically in the beginning, as, uh, you know, they said you have to find something you're passionate about, and then you got to use that to develop a story and everything. If you're thinking like that, at least for me, you're using something tactically before you've even let it flower and blossom into something beautiful that this is the thing I'm passionate about. Like before you did 52 Peak Club, you just really, really loved bagging peaks, getting out there, doing the thing that you do, climbing. And then you developed that idea. It didn't come after, certainly not. So like you allowed yourself to really fully explore your passion untactically I think by thinking in that way, a lot of people are like, okay, it's a formula. I'm going to do this first and this first and this. And they're not even thinking about how much that thing is that they said just a minute ago they were passionate about, how much they even love it. They're now using it as a formula. I would imagine you'd caution people against doing that, but what if somebody's kind of in a hurry? How do they develop all of this stuff Um, when they have a goal uh, right alongside of it to accomplish it by a certain time that might be a little bit close? Or is well, there a way to do again, that? Uh, 
in my opinion, who do you listen to? Listen to real experts. You don't necessarily have to meet them in person, not with the Internet. Buy their books, go to their webinars, et cetera, et cetera. That will cut down your learning curve. I mean, we still have people asking, you know, a basic questions about hiking, and they get all kind of different answers. Then they ask me, and I say, here's the correct answer, because I've done it for so long. I guarantee you I know the correct answer. And so you can apply that principle to anything. Now, cut down the learning curve by getting the experts to uh, or learn from the experts. That's such key, and I found that accidentally back you know, in the gambling. I could have went nowhere with the gambling. Back then, this type of information, was there was no Internet even, and it was extremely hard to find, virtually impossible. But I said, I'm going to find this guy, no matter what it takes, meet him, become friends, and then learn how to uh, beat the game. So nowadays with the Internet and everything, it's much easier. No matter what you're passionate on, Google it. I guarantee you'll find stuff. Now, some of it won't be very good, and some of it will be fantastic. That's where you have to start making evaluations and decisions. And then, you know, the second thing is people can't think they know it all. They read something, and "Ah, that doesn't sound right. Well, you know, this guy has 25 years of experience. I'll bet it is right, even though it might not make sense to you at the time so you got to quit you know injecting your own theories and beliefs especially if you have virtually no knowledge and just accept that you know if it's a real expert accept what he's saying and then do it yeah i like uh i don't know if you watch any of this stuff or i've seen i'm sure you've seen examples of it but uh, people have made a little cottage industry out of saying, I'm not very good at this, but I would like you to pay attention to my advertisers or buy my ebook and watch my videos as I figure out how to live my passion. Like people who are maybe trying to accomplish a 52-peak challenge or something like that, and it comes to them naturally. I don't think anybody ever told some of these kids or people who are switching over midlife um, that this would be a viable way to go, but it's undeniably a viable way to go because there are people in the van life movement who have never lived in a van before, and they're filming themselves building out the van and living in it and going through the hardships and the hard knocks, and and they're making livings by being very forthright, forthcoming about the fact that they're not an expert in this yet, but you can learn a lot from me by watching my journey. And I just think that's fascinating too. Have you... Any examples of people doing things like that? No, not actually, but it is a very interesting concept. Uh, yeah, of course, now, what does happen is you're subject to their learning experience and their learning speed. And if they're True. going on this journey, you can get a lot out of it, but they're not at the pinnacle where the expert would be. And yeah, But different learning styles for different people. Nothing's really right. completely bad. You can learn from anything. Um, so that, that's an interesting concept, and it's great that they're taking something they're passionate about and being able to make a living doing something worthwhile. So hats off to them. Yeah, and then they can turn around um, after accomplishing whatever they're trying to accomplish, and then they have that body of work to go in this way after all these hard knocks I wasn't an expert then, but I'm somewhat of an expert now because I finished. And I might not have done it pretty. It's just a lot of really neat things that come out of people being very open. I think sometimes people try to hide too much or pretend like they're the expert they're not. 
there is definitely an awful lot of that out there too. And um, the only choice that people like that have, in my opinion, is to be honest, right? I mean, it, you can't, that fake it till you make it thing, I don't know. In some cases, maybe it works. In some cases, a lot more cases, I think, it really hampers people because you're going to get caught at some point. They're going to go, that's not a very expert thing to do if you're that much of an expert, right? Oh, I agree. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, and it depends on what you're doing. You know, if it's something very safe, it's still not great, but at least nobody's going to really get hurt. Something what I do, no. And there's people, believe me, who think they're experts and have no clue what they're doing. And, you know, especially on the Internet, because anybody can pop up a website and, you know, claim they've been on every TV show in the world and they're the foremost expert. And then you start really <laughs> looking at what they're telling you and you go, this isn't right at all. Uh, we, we saw that yeah. too in the gambling. You know, people claim all kind of things and then we talk to them and, you know, a real expert knows when people really know what they're talking about and when they don't within a couple minutes. It's just glaringly obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very frustrating for true experts to be in competition at all in any way with people who they know are not. <laughs> but that's another topic for another day. Um, we yeah, are coming to the absolutely. top of the hour, and I need to ask you, what is the best way for people to get into your sphere of influence i know locally they can they can check out the 52 peak club but what else would you want people to uh check out today to find out more about you well there's actually two websites uh if they're just generally into hiking i have a very big website hikinglasvegas.com and that gives all kind of hiking information just general information that could be applied to all type of uh hiking and that site's been on the Internet since 98, so it's very big, very comprehensive. And then if they're interested in the blackjack stuff, uh, DustinMarks.com. I have more about me and videos, et cetera, on that site. Awesome. Well, Dustin, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. I had no idea exactly where this was going to go today, and it turned out to be one of the best leverage discussions I've had in quite a while. So thank you so much for oh, taking the time you. to be on the show today. Well, thanks for having me a guest. Thank you Absolutely. so much, Absolutely. Back to Justin. you in the studio. <clears throat> okay, take and care. we will be back same time, same place next week. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Tune in next week for another episode of Leverage Masters. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook on our Leverage Black Book page to keep up with the latest. We'll see you next time on Leverage Masters. Thank you.